Yeah, it's on now. Okay. <laughs> it's important that whenever we talk about the cost of discipleship, it is always very important to keep in mind what is the cost of non-discipleship. Right? And if we look at the Bible, we look at the experience, right, of lived lives of disciples, everyone would say that the cost of non-discipleship clearly is eternally greater, but also much higher already now and the here and now in this life, right, compared to the cost of discipleship. Right? These verses give us insight into what it means to be a disciple. Right? And clearly we're not talking about qualifications of being a disciple. Right? Because discipleship is a gift right? that the Lord invites us into being his apprentices, being his student. Right? And we talked already about this three weeks ago when Jesus says, you know, every student who is fully trained in the kingdom will become like their teacher. And it is important for us to understand discipleship is how it was viewed in that context. Right? A disciple means an apprentice, a student, somebody who learns from his master. Right? Nowadays, you can go to university, sign up to a course. Sometimes you can barely show up and still pass the class. Right? The Talmud, which is a Jewish uh, commentary on the Old Testament, says, A father and his son or a master and his disciple are regarded as one individual. So when Jesus says, come and follow me, he says, pay attention to what I do. You know? Imitate me. Do what I do. Become like me. It's this, it's this invitation into a tight-knit, close relationship between us and our Lord. So it is in this context that we have to understand what Jesus is talking about. And before I go into these verses, because clearly they are um, strong words, but we should <coughs> never forget... Right? That discipleship is not meant to be a gloomy thing, right? not a burden we're living under. Right? And that's why Jesus says, you know, come and learn from me because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? John the Elder, when he writes, he says, yeah, Jesus has given us his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Right? So the life of the, of the disciple is meant to be a life full of joy and peace and kindness of goodness and love right i remember when i was 12 years old i i went to a camp and i was so excited that i said okay you know i will do what jesus did but nobody ever mentioned to me that it was supposed to be a life lived by the spirit right so i was like every morning two hours writing everything and everything i did what ah is this what jesus says to do and clearly I end up hitting a wall because right? we're never meant to live this life of discipleship just by ourselves, it is impossible right? it's fueled and lived by the Spirit and so now what I, I want to do is go into this dialogue that Jesus has with some people he meets on the road right? and then see what that entails in terms of discipleship what it tells us, right? What, again, not qualifications and how to be a disciple, but what the qualities of disciple. What does the life of disciple look like? Okay, so this first person is drawn, right, to Jesus. He says, Lord, I will follow you. 
and Jesus gives them this interesting image. He said, foxes have um, holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So on the surface, Jesus is saying, you know, even the animals have a place to rest, right? But not me. So we don't have the full conversation, but clearly it seems that Jesus is correcting the understanding of that person, right? In terms of what it means to follow Jesus, right? He's saying, if you're interested in power, this is not it, right? I am a rejected savior. Make sure that if you follow me, it is the path of humility. This is the path that I take. So that's the first um, level. Right? Jesus, he is always the smartest person in the room. Right? Jesus is the best theologian who ever lived. Amen. Right? And also, that being said, one thing that is very common in the Middle East is always to talk about politics. Right? We always talk about politics. Really, nine out of ten conversations will be about politics. Right? And Jesus was as well like um, living in the context which was very political, right, under the Romans, etc. And so Kenneth Bailey, American author who lived much in the Middle East, says that foxes was like an expression for those in power. So in Luke, I think, 13, Jesus calls Herod that fox. Go and tell that fox, you know, and I'll keep on doing my thing. And the expression, birds of the air, had come to mean the Gentile nations, right? So clearly the Romans. So what Jesus is somehow saying, he's saying if you want power, go and look at those birds, those Romans who are spreading their nests everywhere. And if you want power, go and see Herod who was uh, ruling unlawfully. So clearly what Jesus is saying is discipleship is not about power, nor fame, nor pride. Right? It's about humility, living a life of humility. And I think, my friends, here it is clear that you know, most people do not long for power or fame from bad intentions, right? I know in my life that when, you know, I feel things like jealousy or power, I want to be seen, right, at my work. I want to be the person who closes the deal, right? I want to be the person who goes, you know, to that place. Those are feelings that, you know, are, are, are natural, right? And C.S. Lewis, he says something quite interesting. He says... Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist, right? So clearly we were meant to be known and seen and improved, right? And my friends, when I feel those things, it's because I'm operating from a place of deficiency, right? of need. There are truths of the gospel that I need to keep on reminding myself. Right, so I want to suggest that true, I think more often than not, true humility as well comes with true groundedness and security and confidence. Right? The prime example is Jesus. Right? He went to his death. He didn't feel the need to justify himself, or protect himself. Right? He was secure. The second, what does the second uh, dialogue tell us about discipleship? That's the first time I I, um, I read I read those verses. Was oh, okay, you know, like the man's father has died, he's gonna go and bury him. <coughs> right? And you know, in the Middle East, we have all kinds of weird expressions. You know, when my mom wants to tell me that she really loves me. She says, that means let me eat my, your liver, my son. You know? 
There's all kind. I'm sure like a different like cultures you guys have, you know, weird expressions. So Kenneth Bailey says that this understanding is very foreign, right, to the Middle East. Because if a father has passed away, right, you would either be mourning your father, or if he's being buried, you'll be there at the funeral, right? So what is it right, that's happening here? Again, along with other weird expressions, when my mom tells me that she loves me, she says, T-burni. It means, my son, I hope that you bury me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> the underlying, though, you know, interesting, the cultural expectation is that, my son, I hope that you will stay with me until my long age and take care of me. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is what's happening here. You know, Jesus is telling, come and follow me. He says, Lord, let me go, you know, and take care of my family, you know, until, and then I will come. Right? And what Jesus is saying now, my friends, the invitation of Jesus is right now. You know, live in the kingdom right now. You know, there is no better time than now. There is nothing more urgent, you know. The call of the kingdom takes precedence over every other call on our lives. In my experiences, you know, again, we never, right, intentionally say, ah, yes, I will follow Jesus tomorrow. No. Right? We are all well-intentioned people who want to follow Jesus. It is that I think we get, sometimes we drift away with non-kingdom matters. Right? I know, you know, that I tend to worry. And instead of going to Jesus with my worry, right, I tend to spiral and dwell. Uh, that's why this is really stri- um, great words that Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. Right? Let the spiritually dead take care of the cu- cultural expectations you know, of your community. Right? And when I read those words, I really felt like Jesus was saying to me, Vlad, you know, let the spiritually dead worry about their work. You, know? you bring that to me. You know? I have kingdom matters for you. So my friends, again, you know, wherever we are, whatever time it is, that is the best place for us to learn from Jesus and be a disciple. Right? The moment is now. Right? Now the, let's come to the third one. The third dialogue as well is uh, quite interesting. Um, I say, yes, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. <laughs> right, so here the, the Greek is a bit more subtle. Right, it says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first take leave from my family. Right, again, it's interesting because in the Middle East, you know, like, first of all, I have to say, it's very hard to leave somebody's place. You know, when you go to visit, like, you know, it's very hard, you barely leave. I mean, imagine my mom was 60 years old, but the other day she went to visit uh, some friends. The woman told her, bring your pajamas so you can sleep over. You know, like, you're not leaving, you know. And so, there's interesting, there's this concept. Whenever we leave a meeting, actually, we have to ask permission from the others. And Arabic say, ma'iznak, you know, let me take leave, you know, only if you allow, I can go, right? 
So again, what's happening here is that the man is saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but surely the authority of my father is greater than yours. Mm-hmm. And I need to ask for permission. Right? And especially we have to understand this is the context of the Middle East, when until now, you know, here in the West, you're 18 years old, you leave your mom and dad, etc. And the Middle East, you stay home. You know, if you're not married, you stay home. Right? You eat your mom's food every night. Right? You live under your father's roof. Right? You take permission from your dad. You know, oh, I'm going to leave. Right? And so we have to imagine that Jesus, a 30-year-old man, is saying, you come and follow me. Well, surely, you know, your authority is not greater than my father's. Right? Again, my friend, Jesus, the invitation for Jesus for us is there is nothing more important right, in this moment than following him. Right? There is no priority higher than his in this moment, whatever that priority might be on our life. Following Jesus is the best thing we can do in this moment. Again, it's interesting because every time (coughs) Jesus tells a sort of a parable, he's using an imagery that is common to people right around them, so they can relate. That that is interesting. (coughs) And so he's using again this... uh, cultural imagery of agriculture right? he's saying no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom right? and we have to understand to understand like the power of this imagery how maybe some of you have worked in agriculture I've never but from what I read it's quite like a strenuous exercise right? It demands your focus and concentration right? on the one hand you have the plow it's the light plow that you dig that trench the other hand, you know, you have to control the oxen. And with the trench, you have to make sure that, okay, one, you dig it, then you come to shape it for the drainage. Then, you know, you prepare the soil for planting. Then you plant and cover again the soil. So it's clearly, you cannot just, you know, plow and just <laughs> look back. Right? That is something that demands, like, your focus and attention. Right? And my friend... This is one thing which is, I believe, encompasses Jesus' sayings, is that when he talks about uh, discipleship kingdom, it encom- encompasses your whole life. Right? That's why, I mean, the first commandment says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, right? with all your being. Right? And... My friends, this is, if we want to be transformed to be like Jesus, right? All, every part of our lives right, need to be surrendered right, to Him. Right? That, is, that is the goal. Is that, you know, the goal is not that we bless those who curse us. Right? The goal is that we become the kind of people for whom it is natural. <laughs> of course, it's a no-brainer for me to bless those who curse me. Right? It's that inner transformation that leads to those somehow obvious realities. And my friend, that's a basic principle as well in life. You know, like, I'm going to give an example. At some point, believe it or not, I used to do some bodybuilding at university. And, you know, yes, I trained in the gym, but actually what mattered most is that I was so intentional, I had to sleep eight hours a day. You know, I had to eat eight times a day. And at some point, my dad said, why, what, everything you're doing is just either eating or planning your meals, you know. But what I'm saying here, you know, is that that passion I had 
my life revolved around that passion, right? I rearranged my priorities, you know, for that passion. It is the same when we are disciples, right? right? The attitudes of our hearts and how we arrange our life, our priorities, you know, around following Jesus and learning from Him. Right? It encompasses our whole life. So the underlying picture that we're seeing here again is that tight, very close relationship right, that exists between an apprentice, a disciple, and his master and Jesus. Right? Jesus is saying, you know, my son, my daughter, there is nothing more important for you in this moment, you know. There is nothing better for you in this moment than to learn from me and to become like me to follow and my steps right, this is why Jesus says whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me right? and yes clearly Jesus is not saying that literally you know, but it doesn't mean that's not real the imagery is not realistic right? and there's a passage in Romans where Paul says that and I think it's a great explanation of what it means to pick up our cross he says Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Right? I like that part, you know, every part of yourself. Right? So that's for me, my friend, learning to live like Jesus, you know, learning how we can submit every part of our lives to His Lordship. Right? And then the cross doesn't become an instrument of torture, it becomes an instrument of liberation, right? Finally, yes, we are freed to become who He has made us to be. And I want to finish with um, a quote from Dallas Willard, American. Um, author, brilliant uh, mind. Right? What we've been saying here is that there is nothing better for us right, in this moment than to follow Jesus. Right? And we started right, our, uh, our sermon uh, by saying, yes, there's a cost of discipleship, right? but there's a cost of non-discipleship. And Dallas has something very intriguing to say. I'll read it very slowly about this. He says, non-discipleship costs abiding peace. Non-discipleship costs a life penetrated throughout by love. Non-discipleship costs faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Non-discipleship costs power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, non-discipleship costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ 
is after all an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. Amen.